0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our first podcast of Careers in Finite. We have here today with us Dr. Rupali Chowdhury, a postdoctoral researcher in immunology from McMaster University. Dr. Chowdhury, how are
1: you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you. And thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be part of your first podcast. Dr. Chowdhury,
0: I have known you for a very long time now but we have never had the opportunity to sit down and talk about how you decided on this career path. Could you tell us a
1: little bit about that today? That is actually really true that we never sat down and talked about this. Well, let's go way back to when I was a child and I was always drawn to science. I remember receiving my first doctor's playset, and this was maybe when I was four years old and I insisted that Everyone called me Dr. Rupali after that. So as I grew, I knew that I was good at science and math. And the only career that I knew at the time that involved science was being a medical doctor. So I was determined that that is what I was going to do with my life. I went through all of school thinking this and applied to different universities. And when it came time to apply to universities, the craze at the time was software engineering and i decided i didn't want to do that i wanted to stick with medical sciences so i applied for life sciences program in all the schools in uft which is where i did my bachelor's degree in first year it's general sciences and in second year is when you actually pick what your focus is going to be and i had applied for neuroscience that unfortunately didn't work out But I took on the next opportunity I had, which was molecular genetics and molecular biology. Because I was still interested in medical school, I wrote the MCATs, which is the Medical College Admissions Test, and I actually did really well. But during my bachelor's degree, I got the experience of wet lab science, and I found that that was actually interesting me a lot more than what I would have thought medical school would. So I started to approach professors to see if I could volunteer in their labs and I landed a summer position in a startup lab at the University of Waterloo studying Drosophila embryogenesis. Later, I actually ended up joining the same lab to do my masters. At a seminar, I watched a speaker talk about her research interests, which was based off a protein that she had discovered during her postdoctoral work called KAISO and its involvement in development and cancer, and I found her research fascinating. So I approached her to see if she was interested in any PhD students. After she said yes, I formally then applied to McMaster University Department of Biology for this program. During my PhD, I discovered that KAISO not only has a role in cancer development, but also in inflammation. And at that time, I didn't have any experience in immunology, so I needed to collaborate with a lab that would help me characterize these immune cell types that I was seeing in the murine intestines. I approached a few different labs at McMaster campus, and they guided me towards this one particular lab who do some of the top research with flow cytometry. After about a year's collaboration, I found that I actually really enjoyed working with this lab. I was interested in immunology, and so I applied to the lab for a postdoctoral fellow position. And this is where I'm at now. I'm doing my postdoctoral research in peanut allergies. So in short, I didn't actively choose to do what I am doing now. Instead, I knew I liked science and I wanted to be in science. So I let that passion and interest actually guide me and create the opportunities to be where I am right now. Looking at the
0: history, you have gone through a lot of transitions. You have moved from your bachelor's in molecular biology, then to cellular biology, and then on to immunology. Plus there are a lot of model systems you worked on from drosophila to mice. So what were some of your challenges that you faced through these transitions?
1: Moving from Drosophila to mice, actually there is a huge change in size that you're talking about. Drosophila, which are fruit flies, are so small that you're manipulating them under the microscope. And then you move to mice and those are much bigger. So there was a huge skill set that I had to actually learn when I started my PhD. And then there is your attitude your attitude, it's very important through all of this as well. You have to be open to learning. And it is a humbling experience when you change fields. Okay.
0: Apart from challenges, did you have transferable skills that helped you transition
1: from your bachelor's to your PhD and now your postdoc? Yes, of course. Um, During my bachelor's, I got theoretical knowledge and some very basic wet lab science. Uh, skills such as pipetting or running an agarose gel or even what an agarose gel is. And I was able to take that to my master's where I did have to pipette and I did have to run agarose gels. But I also learned during my master's how to work with microscopes and how to work with really small organisms. This skill set of working with microscopes I took into my PhD. my PhD did require me to look and take images of the murine intestines over a long period of time. I learned how to work with mice. And that is something that I've been able to bring into my postdoc lab, where I do work with mice on a regular basis. So I don't have to learn how to pick up a mouse again, I already have that knowledge. On top of that, I also have the knowledge of working with microscopes and doing all the molecular work that needs to be done. But now I'm learning new skill sets of learning flow cytometry, for example, and how do you process new types of tissues? So overall, I've been gathering all of these skill sets from all the different labs that I have worked at, and I will be able to take these skills with me to whatever new opportunities are going to come my way.
0: Having come from an academic background, Dr. Chaudhary, I have to tell you that those are great examples, but you bring good perspective on the transferable skills only in academia. What about the students and individuals who wanna transition out of academia into industry, let's say into biotech, pharma, or even business? How do they translate these transferable skills and put it into use into those sectors? Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: That's right. I actually only talked about the science technical skills that I took from one lab to another but there's so many soft skills that you learn all throughout your undergraduate and your graduate career. One of these skills is time management. As you go on in your undergraduate and even your graduate career, you get a lot more responsibilities. And I'm not just talking about responsibilities in academia, but also responsibilities in your life. And you learn how to manage your time and divide it up amongst all of these different things that you are involved with. So along with time management comes organization. You need to be organized to be able to do all these different tasks that are going to come up. These could be organizing such that you have set up new folders on your computer, or you're using Google Calendar or your iCalendar to organize all the different tasks that you have to do for that day. So. Organization in itself is a huge soft skill that you will take with you into every career. Another soft skill that you will take with you is working independently. During your undergraduate, you actually have to study by yourself. In your graduate career, you have a hypothesis that is usually presented to you, which is what you work towards. But during your PhD, you really learn to look at it in a more creative way, you start to look for various hypotheses for your project. And that brings creativity. Creativity is a soft skill that you will apply into different fields. There is also giving presentations. You learn how to give professional presentations and stand in front of your committee and your supervisor and talk about your project and answer their questions. When they are asking you questions that concerns your project and you have to stand there and defend your point of view, what that does is helps build confidence within you. Now, depending on the degree that you get, you may have other set of technical skills, such as using various programs. There's multiple statistical programs that get used, like GraphPad or R, and not everyone knows how to use them. Also, there are other programs such as Word, Excel, PowerPoint, all of which you will use a lot throughout your graduate career. When you are writing your thesis and you need to format your thesis on Word, it really requires skill and patience. And not everyone knows all those different nuances that Word has. And so that's a skill that you will be able to take into any of the different fields that you want to apply to. While you're doing your PhD, you also have the opportunity to take courses in other programs at the university. So if you're interested in business or you're interested in pharma science or in biotech, you can actually seek out courses in those and take those courses to help build up your skill set. I have friends who have moved on from having been in basic science research And have gone into being a patent lawyer or even banking or starting their own business so it's not like these skills that you gain during your undergraduate and graduate career is something that you will only hold on to in science in my own personal life i use most of these skills on a regular basis like time management and organization presentations or even manipulating experiments and I use all of these when I do baking and cake decorating, or even when I'm doing henna or mendi on people or on canvas. Overall, it's not about the technical and the theoretical skills only, but it's also all of these different things that you are taking away, and you just have to be creative and know that you are taking more than just what's in the textbooks. So... Speaking
0: about careers outside academia, I have a question from a student, and she writes, I'm currently in the final year of my bachelor's degree in science, and my interests lie in science writing and teaching. How do I integrate my
1: interests into my career? That is an excellent question. Science writing is actually a real field, and you can look for science journalism. What you could do is start off at your university and look for the university daily newsfeed or your on-campus newspaper, or even the local newspaper in your area and approach them to see if you can write about the research and highlight the research that's ongoing on your campus or other campuses. That will give you a really good background to work with you will have a portfolio that you can start to develop and you can get critical feedback from all of those editors about your writing or even about how you are removing the jargon from the hardcore science that is going on and providing the information to the general public. Once you have this portfolio built up, you can start to approach different research journals and research journals are always looking for science writers. They want someone who can understand the science and be able to explain and teach it to the general public. These are also some of the roles that are played by medical translators. If you are really interested in this career, you can look at any of the biotech or pharmaceutical company websites. Technically, anyone who writes on the website is a writer, and to be able to write about a product, you have to understand the product. Therefore, you need a science background. There are usually multiple bullet points up on their website about job requirements for writing for their websites, and you can look at those and see what can you do to actually achieve them in the next year or so.
0: Dr. Chaudhary, I really like the idea. So what you're proposing is think five steps ahead when you're in your bachelor's program if you're thinking about science writing look at the options that are available to you and think ahead of how you want to plan strategically for your career
1: that's absolutely right
0: changing gears a little bit we have a question from a student whose second language is english in your experience have you come across researchers whose second language is also english
1: and how do they manage yes there are lots of researchers who have english as their second language As a matter of fact, there's a huge influx of people that come in from China and Iran and Southeast Asia that are here in North America and are very successful, not just as researchers, but in all fields. It is difficult, but it is very doable. What you need is practice. You need to be willing to learn in more ways than you think. It's not just about theoretical knowledge anymore. It's about seeking out being able to practice your spoken English and even your written English. There are multiple programs that are set up in universities where you can do this and you can sit down with a counselor one-on-one, but then you can also go out into the community and you can take adult courses for English or even TOEFL courses. Language should really not be the barrier. It comes down to how you communicate your thoughts and some of the most high-paid jobs are held by immigrants. You just have to be vigilant and you have to be open to the new opportunities that would come around you. English, in fact, is my second language and as far as I know, I think it's your second language as well. Thank you, Dr. Chaudhary, for that.
0: English is my second language, so I can relate very well to this question and i completely agree with you language is no barrier it opens up a whole new world of opportunities we still have a lot more questions so stay tuned for our second podcast on may 29th where we will be talking about career options available for science graduates thank you all for listening